Our church's vision statement goes like this. You hear it every Sunday morning from our gathering host. It's on the front page of our website. We try to keep it in front of you often if you're a member of this church. And our vision statement goes like this. We are a community following Jesus seeking renewal in our city. And for the most part, the first 10 years of our church, I can say that now, the first 10 years of our church, has been about what it looks like to be a community following Jesus. Actually, uh, that was our vision statement uh, on day one of our church. When uh, we actually became a church, our vision statement was a community following Jesus, kind of full stop right there. We eventually added seeking renewal in our city because we believe that, that is what the Bible is all about. That's what I'll talk about today. Now, I, ha I have endeavored to teach this church what following the way of Jesus is and what it looks like and how to do that whole thing while being in authentic community because I think those two things are inseparable. When we follow Jesus, we have to do so in community. We actually spent our entire year last year deep diving into what authentic community is and what it looks like. But the question I often get from people who are visiting our church, are new to our church, or even people that have been here for a while, goes something like this. What about the second half of our vision statement? How are we seeking renewal in our city? And what I've often said was that we are doing that in all sorts of ways, ways through our uh, work with local renewal partners that we have all throughout the city, ways we are trying to do that in our work, in our home, through the leading of the Spirit. I've done some teaching in and through this in our study in the book of Daniel, if you remember from a few years ago, or First Peter before that. But being totally honest here, in the back of my mind, whenever I'm asked that question, I know that we have to throw our church into a very long learning conversation about bringing renewal in our city. From the individual level to a corporate congregational level. So I'm excited to say that this is our pastoral theme for the year. Something that we'll learn together and metabolize together the same way we did with Authentic Community last year. And I hope that seeking renewal in our city, city is not just a stated vision statement, but what, something that we all embody in all areas of our lives. That we would be people that seek the renewal of our city. And today we are entering into a four-week teaching series on the subject. And to start us off, I want to talk about what is renewal and how do we seek it? What is renewal and how do we seek it? And it's important to start with God on this one. So I want to start this morning with God. Renewal is what God is doing in the world. If you're taking notes, if you take notes during sermons, write that down. Renewal is what God is doing in the world. When we think of God and what God does, we might assume that God uses most of his energy and time trying to save souls. Working on people's hearts, trying to get so-and-so to believe in him, whatever. But part of what God does and delights in doing is bringing renewal to the world. Psalm 104 verse 30 talks about how God renews the face of the world by sending his spirit. And this isn't some esoteric verse. It's about the earth. It's an earthy verse. It's about the soil and the plants and the animals, that God spends his time and energy renewing the earth, sending rain and snow and growing things and renewing things. When 
on Friday, it felt almost like spring here. And like in the afternoon, if you were outside on Friday afternoon, it felt like spring. And that smell of spring, I went to the the, my local nursery right where I live, and I just wanted to smell like spring flowers. I just walked around the nursery smelling flowers. I'm like, spring is coming. After all of this rain, after it being freezing cold, I mean, for us, San Franciscans, it's freezing cold. I mean, it's not like below zero or anything. It's like in low 50s, which is freezing cold. <laughs> spring is coming. That is the work of God. Now, God does care and does spend his limitless energy in trying to renew hearts. And he tries to renew our hearts. But he also does that to Yosemite and to Napa Valley. Like God is is into renewing the face of the earth by his spirit. But it doesn't end there. If you you turned your Bible to um, Revelation 21, at the very end, this is the, uh, I usually start the year at the beginning of the Bible, but I really wanted to do the end. Uh, Revelation 21 This is the second to the last chapter of the Bible. One of the last chapters at the end of the Bible. Let's read this. Verse 1 through verse 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is how the story of God ends. It ends with God renewing the world. The Greek language has two words for new. Neos and kainos. Neos is something brand new. Like when you purchase a new car that has never been driven before, brand new. Kainos is something that is old that has been made new. Like when your old car gets restored by Fast and Loud, that TV show on Discovery Channel. If you've ever seen that show, right? Sometimes when I'm on vacation, I get addicted to these shows. Like if I catch one at the beginning, I have to watch the end. I have to see what this this like old Camaro becomes or something like that. I have to watch and see them drop in a new engine and this new paint and this new stuff. Like I have to see it all happen. Now, that kainos is that word. It's something that was old and beat up and junky that has been completely renewed. Now, when John has a vision of God making all things new, he uses the word or the word that's used there is kainos. Which means that God doesn't get rid of this world and start over with another world. He doesn't go, annihilates this world and goes, this this new world, and then this whole new thing comes up, right? That's not what God does. He takes this world that he created as good, at the same time as broken and needs renewing, and he renews it. So when it says in verse 1 that the first heaven and the first earth passed away... It's talking about the old order of things. Look at verse 4. The old order passed away. There was a way that the first earth and the first heavens operated. Mainly, they operated in separate planes. 
earth here, heaven here, and sometimes they overlapped. Heaven is where God rules and where God is and his presence is, and earth is where we have dominion or we should have had dominion over. The new heavens and new earth are together, and there's a new city, there's culture in the new heavens and new earth, a new Jerusalem, okay? This new, this old order of things where God's presence isn't necessarily everywhere is now everywhere because it says that. It says now God lives among us and he will be with us forever. So this old order of things has passed away. We get a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. God's presence is everywhere. Now, we're still kind of at the beginning of the sermon. I just dove right into the deep end, but I hope you're, you're, you're with me still. So the Bible begins by saying, one, that God made the world. Now we'll get there. We'll get more, more there in a second. God made the world. That's how the Bible starts. In the middle of the Bible, Psalm 105, it says that God renews the face of the earth by his spirit. And at the end, it says that God will completely renew the, the heavens and the earth. So what is renewal? Renewal is what God is doing in the world. It's what God is doing. It is the thing that God is up to in the world. It's like his main thing. The renewal of hearts, the hearts of humanity, the renewal of the soil of the ground, of cities and of civilizations and of nations and of families and of the animal kingdom. He is into the renewal of everything. Renewal is God's mission. It's his plot. It's the whole purpose of his entire story. It's his plan. It's what he's always conspiring against. He's always, try, he's always conspiring for renewal. So whenever there's a relationship, a marriage that's broken, you know what God really wants for it? Renewal. When there's a friendship that's broken, you know what God wants? Renewal. When there's a, a, a nation that's broken, what God really wants is renewal. When there's a bone that's broken, what God wants is renewal. This is what God is after. God is always conspiring with the world, with humanity, to bring about renewal. This is what he wants. So the first point about renewal is that whatever it is, and whatever renewal means on a street level, renewal is what God is doing in the world. Therefore, we don't bring renewal. We join God in the renewal that he's bringing. This is subtle, but it's vital. You don't bring renewal, you join God in what God's doing. You join God in the renewal that he's bringing on earth. Now, the reason why this is really, really important, first of all, we're all um, San Francisco kind of type A creator, creative types of people. San Francisco's full of these type of people, right? That see a future world and just want to go after it and make it happen, make it real. Bend the world to their will, right? Now, why this is helpful is it allows us to take a deep breath, to stop and pause, take a deep breath, and get our priorities straight. If renewal means we have to join God in the renewal he is already bringing, then that means that we must slow down and join God. If we have to join God in renewal, that first means we have to join God. We have to get close to God. We have to be with God. See, the reason why I announced those spiritual practice cards was no coincidence. 
This is how we join God in his renewal. We get close to God. I think this starts to get after what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I know living inside of us, there's all this desire for reconciliation and renewal and all these things that we want to do for God. It all starts by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, joining God first, and then being a part of his renewal. Let me give you a little illustration to show you what I mean. There's this really wonderful organization in the Bay Area that was started by Christian business people called Transforming the Bay with Christ. Transforming the Bay, okay? TBC. Nancy Orberg, who um, taught here early, uh, the middle of last year, um, uh, is a director there, and uh, it's a really amazing company. Now, it was started by Christian businessmen, and I remember the, getting emails when it was first starting, that they were starting with prayer meetings with pastors to, to figure out what this was. And so I get this email saying, we're starting this organization called Transforming the Bay for Christ, and we would love for you to join with a small group of pastors to pray for what this is going to be. And I and my friend uh, Francis go there, and we, we pray, and we're all like, transforming the bay for Christ does not sound right. That's not really theologically correct. And then so one of the pastors says to this Christian businessman, like, I, I love your heart. I love the direction of it. But actually, it's not transforming the bay for Christ. It's transforming the bay with Christ. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm changing the name of that. And now transforming the bay with Christ. But I think this is really good because you, you got these, these entrepreneurial Christian, like we're going to transform the bay for Christ. But that's not how it works. We actually transform anything with Christ. We don't do it for him and hand it to him at the end hoping that it'll be accepted. We don't like do all the stuff in the bay area and then die and like, look what we did in the bay. God, we did this for you. Here it is for you. What, do you like it? That, what that does, it, that suddenly forms a religion in, uh, based on works. Um, and that will crush you. That will crush you. If you're always trying to do something for God and then hand it to him like, did you like this? Look what I did for you. This will turn you into either um, this will crush you under the weight of the, the pressure or it'll, you'll start getting entitled to where you actually do something really good. You're like, God, you owe me. Look at what I did for you. You owe me this relationship. You owe me this, this, this house. You owe me this, like, peace. Whatever. It is. You owe me. Look what I did for you. Okay, so it's not for. That will crush you, and that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is about being accepted in Christ through his work on your behalf on the cross and you being able to participate in God's kingdom now and being a part of bringing that good news to bear on the world. The gospel is that, that you get to, you, you, the, the kingdom of God is now available to you through Jesus. That's the gospel. Okay. And the sequence is very important because we don't do this. And this is what, this is why we get close to God. This is why we draw near to God. And we're like, we're doing this with you. We join in the renewal that you're bringing. We're transforming the city with you. You're, a, you're actually already doing this. You're already doing this in all of these unique and subtle and creative ways. And we join in what you're doing. That's what we're doing. Now, if renewal is something God is doing, what is it? 
I mean, what is it exactly? When we talk about renewal and what it looks like on a street level, as in when Christians join in God's renewal, what does that look like from society's point of view? What we are really talking about, if we're talking about renewal and what that looks like from like, what will, what will our neighbors see if, if Christians are bringing renewal? What, what it looks like is our or a follower of Jesus's influence on the world. That's ultimately what we're talking about, is our influence on the world. That's what it means to participate in renewal. For followers of Jesus to act in culture, that's what I'm talking about. To act upon culture is for us to possibly create culture or shape culture. So from a theological, okay, so let's stay over here. This is We'll call this a theological perspective. Renewal from a theological and devotional level means joining God in renewal, right? That's what it means. From a theological, like what is it theologically uh, to bring renewal? It means joining God. What does it mean from a devotional, like my heart? It means joining God. Okay. But what does it look like from a street level? What does it look like when you're on the street working renewal? What does it look like when you're in your, your business, company, home, neighborhood, park, Working renewal. What does it look like there? From a street level, it feels and looks like us acting in culture or acting on culture or influencing culture. Now, you might say, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Aren't we reaping the bitter fruits of Christianity trying to act upon culture right now? I mean, with the Christian vote and all and what that's done to our current politics aren't we just reaping all of the horrible fruits of that mentality right now? Christians should stay out of culture. We can go to church, we can sing some good songs and try to be moral people, but our faith should remain private. We can't get in this kind of trouble again. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> this is really, really important to get, to get straight, to get right. Before we get there, let me start here. Most of us are guilty in believing a two-part gospel. A two-part gospel goes something like this. Part one, you are born a sinner, bound for hell. Part two, Jesus saves you and you get to go to heaven. This is what many of us were fed growing up. This is the Romans road. How many in our generation and our parents' generation were taught how to share their faith. Let me share with you the basics of the Romans road. You start in Romans 3.23. Don't you know that all have sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God? All have sinned and been separated from the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you want to be saved? Yeah. Boom, saved, right? That's the Romans road. Now, first of all, there's some amens there. You're like, <laughs> that, those scriptures are not wrong. They're in the Bible and they're great and they're right. That's how I was saved, by the way. Like someone like, what's the gospel? Do you, do you, are you going to go to, where are you going to go when you die? What do you mean? Where, I'm going to be, where the good people? I don't know, like good people. Where's that? Heaven. I, okay, heaven. I'm going to go to heaven. Do you know that all sin and fall short of the glory of God? Have you ever sinned, Dave? I mean, 
I'm in high school. Say, yes, I have sinned. (laughs) Well, the wages of sin is death. Death, separation from God eternally. Hell. You know, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Oh, really? Yeah. And God demonstrated how much he loves you by dying on a cross for your sins. And if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you're going to get to go to heaven. I'm, I'm in. What, yeah, that's it. I'll, I'll, how do I do this? Well, repeat after me. And then, boom, I was saved. That was it. Now, that's how most of us grew up believing. That's a two-part gospel. You're born a sinner. That's where it starts. Sin, Jesus saves. Now, this is only half of the story. And the truncation of the story changes the entire story. In this story, this two-part gospel, we don't know where in the world we came from and why we're here on this earth and where this is all going. We think everyone's bound for hell and we're going to get rescued out of this place by Jesus eventually and we have to be with him, you know, like Red Bull and get our wings or something like that. That's kind of what we think is going to happen, right? Now, this two-part gospel breeds dualism. Dualism is a belief that the spiritual and the sacred are separated from the rest of life. So everything spiritual, everything sacred is over here. It's private. God doesn't have to do with all the rest of that life stuff. God has to do with your soul. Your, he's your personal savior. He saves you from hell. It says, here's my faith in God, my life with Jesus. And it's sealed off from the way I work. It's sealed off for how I spend my money and what I do on the weekends and how I live with my neighbors. It's my private faith. Tim Keller says the effects of this way of thinking is this. He says, Christianity is seen as as the way to personal forgiveness, peace, inner strength, but not an interpretation of reality that affects every single thing we do. That's the effects of this dualism way of thinking. We think that Christianity has to do with our like, personal forgiveness if, we need, if, we, if we've done wrong things or inner peace or inner strength or whatever. But we don't see Christianity as the interpretation of all of reality and how it affects following Jesus, how it affects every single thing we do. A two-part gospel is not big enough to help us make sense of all of life. A two-part gospel does not help us with how to run a small business or how to, how to deal with medicine or tech or global finance or our carbon footprint or law or anything like that. It deals with our personal lives, and that's about it. That's a truncated gospel. The whole gospel goes like this. Creation. God created the world as good. There's this opening poem in Genesis 1 where God creates it and he gives it function and order and he says it's good it's good it's good it's good and then he creates humanity as like a pinnacle of his creation and he says it's different because he he starts talking to himself when he when he creates us he says let us make mankind in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over everything that we've created like god says this to humanity so we're made in his image and we're created as like royalty in his image and we're created to rule and to reign in his, as his people that's how it starts it starts with the earth is good and i'm created in god's image and i'm made to steward this planet and to, to to almost to rule this planet to co-rule with let them rule not one person rule them humanity rule we work together in our rule of this planet that's how this thing started and then part two of this gospel is the fall See, typically the, the, the two-part gospel starts with sin, 
The full gospel starts with creation. This is God's intent. This is what God was doing. And then sent into the world through disobedience, through a, a serpent who deceives Adam and Eve into not trusting in what God has said. And they rebel. And they want to live uh, as, as being creators and stewards of this planet in their own way. Not, in, not joining God in his way. And then sin enters this world and everything is fragmented and everything is disintegrated. And there's consequences for this. But the, but the mandate to steward the earth and to care for it is not taken away. It's actually going to be harder. So two things that God gave humanity to steward was to, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Like, like take over all of this earth with, with, with my image bearers and rule this well. Now that will happen, but there's going to be labor pains whenever a woman gives birth because of the fall. And man is still to take the earth, man and women are still to take the earth and extract its goodness and create culture from it. But every single time you do that, it's going to be hard and you're going to sweat and you're going to, your hands are going to bleed because the earth is going to be hard. It's going to be cursed. And there's still this mandate to do this. And there's still this call to spread the goodness of God, but it's going to be a lot harder now because of our rebellion. But the third part of the story is redemption. Christ comes and he lives as the ultimate human and he makes available the presence of God through his work on the cross. And he calls people to follow him and follow his way into the, this kingdom life. And now there's redemption through him. And then ultimately there's a restoration. There's a renewal of everything. And God finally restores everything. And everything is put back in order. And we are his people that enact justice on the earth. And God's presence fills everything. Now, it's the whole gospel. Now, there is a part of your personal sin in there, but that's not the main part. The world is not all about you. It doesn't all revolve around your sin either. It's what God is doing. This is God's story. This is God's world and what God is doing. And, of course, we are little, like, minions doing our own little thing in our own little kingdoms, making a muck of all of it. And God's saying, will you join me in the recreation I'm bringing? Will you join me in the restoration of all things? Will you join me? This is what I've been looking for from the beginning, are people to join me in what I'm doing in this world. Not only that, I would also posit that this whole gospel actually helps us make sense, the most sense of reality. If you're here and um, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to make sense of uh, philosophy and religion and spirituality and all of that stuff, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I would say this whole gospel helps us to make the most sense of reality, what you see in the world. Mike, Mike Metzger is a president and senior fellow of the Clapham Institute. He has this paradigm to show how this story is woven into human reality by four phrases we all share in common. So there's four phrases just in the, the human psyche. There's four phrases that we always use. And he says, this is like a cosmic code. He says, these phrases are, we all imagine life in terms of ought to be, is, can, or will be. He calls this the cosmic code. He says, we always think that, we, we think about life as an ought to be. We think life ought to be a certain way. We all do that. We also think that life just is when bad things happen. When things we say, that's, that's life. Gosh, life is hard. Life is, that's, that's, life is life, that's life. We, we have this phrase. We, we know when things happen, when things even die, we're going, yeah, that's, that's, kind of, that's, the way, that's the way life works. 
We think about the way life can be better. Immediately, right now, we always think in these terms. Some of us can, could imagine life better right this second. What would be best? Right, it'd be better if it was a little bit warmer in here. We always think of like life better immediately. And we think about the life, the way life will be one day. We, a lot of us can imagine a better ultimate future, a utopian better future. And we can try to move our world in that direction. We see this future world and we, a lot of us think this way. And this is what Mike, Mike says. He says this. He says, we think about the way life ought to be only because of creation. There's a design in it. We only recognize a life that is because of the fall. There's a default. We only think about life, we only think about what we can do to make life better because of redemption. And finally, we only dream about what will be because we're made for eternity, the final restoration. That's our destiny. This universal pattern can only be explained by the gospel. It can't be explained by the Eastern family of faiths. It can't be explained by Darwin or Nietzsche. This, the Christian story makes the most of reality. It helps us see reality. It helps us know, like even the longings and the aches that we have for our world, where they find their resolve, where they find their like resonance. Now, why is this all important? Why is a four gospel approach to renewal important? I was at an amazing dinner that my, my friend was doing recently. He's uh, opening a restaurant and he was doing preview dinners for people who were interested in investors, etc. To show what was possible and it was Probably, it was probably the best meal I've ever eaten. It was incredible. And I was sitting across from, I mean, we're sitting around this table and around with like new friends and new people. And um, the concept is like one big table and everyone gets to know each other over this really long meal, like three and a half hour meal. And it was, it was like the wedding feast of the lamb, basically. And, um, and I was sitting across from a young tech investor who made tons of money at a young age. A story that's not super uncommon around here. Anyway, of the course of talk, we're all talking, and then he finds out that I'm a pastor. And to his credit, he engages. Um, I mean, not at first. We're too busy talking about cars and food and how not to be a tech douche and, you know, around here and things like that. We're talking about really good things. And um, then he asked me, he says, okay, what's the biggest thing that people get wrong in Christianity? Like, what's the most un misunderstood part of Christianity? And I literally at the moment, I was like swirling my wine. And I was like, this is happening. And I, lo I loved his curiosity. This was such a great question. And I'm like, I was on vacation, but I could not pass this up, right? I was like, he's like, I don't, I don't mean to talk shop. If you don't want to talk shop, that's fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's uh, it's quite all right. Let's talk about this. <clears throat> And I thought about it for a while. I thought about it for about a couple minutes, and which must seem like eternity. But I really wanted to, I wanted to answer this well. And I said, I think the, the biggest thing that people get wrong about Christianity is that you can't see yourself being a Christian. Or you think you can't be a Christian. When in fact, all the things you want in this life have its roots and its origin in Christian hope and in Christian concepts. Yeah. And his eyes like widen. He's like, what, what? I wasn't really ready for that. I said, human progress, peace, harmony and in the interconnectedness of all things, fulfillment, meaning, all of these things are rooted in the Christian hope. See, Eastern philosophies 
Eastern philosophies are all circular. They believe history goes around and around reincarnation until you get it right, that sort of thing. But Christianity and Judaism have the seed of human progress written in their founding stories of how the world works. As an apologist, Rabbi Zachariah says, I believe Christianity because it makes the most sense of reality. Human progress, the desire to leave the world better, to leave our family better, to be entrepreneurs, isn't just a survival tactic passed down to us by our hunting and gathering ancestors. It's hardwired into us. So is peace, harmony with self and others and our environment, which comes from the same place, Genesis 1 and 2. See, I think, I think people think Christianity is about all these other things when it's really about following the way of Jesus in the renewal of the world. I said something like that. <laughs> Probably wasn't as eloquent as I tried to say it there. I was distracted, a lot of food, that sort of thing. But I think that is probably the most misunderstood part of Christianity is that there are people in this city that think I cannot be a Christian. When in fact, all the things that they ultimately really desire have its roots in the Christian story. Dallas Willard says in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he says, to live strongly and creatively in the kingdom of God now here, we need to have firmly fixed our minds on what our future is to be like. In order for us to be really good parents and to be really good entrepreneurs and to be really good in finance and to be really good at the park with our neighbors and to be really good dog parents and all of that stuff, we have to have our mind firmly fixed on the future. And we have to have a whole gospel approach to it. We have to have the whole story, how we were made, what went wrong, who we are in this story, what Christ has done and what Christ is calling us into in the restoration of all things. The future is the restoration of all things, the shalom of all things, and God insists that we do that with him. Over Christmas, I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's beloved story from the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think as we end, we should, we should do so as we began, not asking questions about ourselves, but asking questions about God. Like the children in the Chronicles of Narnia, we will very likely in, our, in this series find ourselves suddenly snatched from a known and comfortable world of self to another one, God's world and what he's doing in it, where extraordinary things are expected of us that seem far beyond our own talents and capabilities. But the, as the children learn in that story, what matters most at those times is not so much what they bring to Narnia's moment of cultural crisis, but the fact that Aslan is on the move. These kids get dropped right into the middle of a perpetual winter, but all of a sudden there are these stirrings, these hints, the fact that Aslan is on the move, they have no idea what that means or who that is. And then spring is breaking in and they're given gifts by Father Christmas that, gives, that empowers them to step into the story and use their divine gifts. But it doesn't really, it's not as much about them and their gifts as much as it is that Aslan, this Christ figure, he's on the move. And are you going to join in with what he's doing? Are you going to join in with that? So let's end with asking ourselves that. What is God doing in our world, in our city, in our culture? What is his vision of what is possible and impossible? And how do we join him with that? And you may be thinking, but you didn't finish your thought on Christians and politics. That's next week. 
Would you stand and let us, I want to actually do this in a meditation. So stand quietly, as quietly as you can. I'm going to read a, um, a prayer that I've been meditating on for a while. I think I shared it with you maybe a few months ago. But I've been meditating on it in light of this year, but also in light of my own proclivity to enact my will on my world. This helps ground me. If you would close your eyes, take a few deep breaths in. Ground yourself in the present moment. We are creatures made by God. Given breath to breathe. Thank you, God. And here's the prayer. I'm going to say it a few times. Allow this to sink in. This is God's world. Father, Son, and Spirit are its creator, sustainer, and divine superintendent. And humanity remains God's project. This is God's world. Father, Son, and Spirit are its creator, sustainer, and divine superintendent. And humanity remains God's project. I wrestled a lot with this sermon because I really wanted to give you 10 ways of how to crush it in renewing the world. And I wrestled and I wrestled and I got angry. And you can ask Ashley, I was temperamental. I was so frustrated. And I went to the mystics and the mystics always start with unknowing, not knowing. They always start with what they don't know. So you always start with humility and dependence. And I want to invite you to start there in our series, in our year. Let's start with unknowing. There might be 50 ways that we're like, well, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. Let's just start with the fact that we just don't know. We don't know what God might want to do in San Francisco. We don't know. We just don't know. And allow that to anchor us in humility and dependence upon God. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.